0: What is up everyone and welcome into episode 52 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, after Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk a little bit about education we'll talk about how we built our hand speed. Our feature artist this time is Mr. Josh Dunn from the band 21 Pilots. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Porter and Davies Gigster Throne. We're going to get to a bunch of your listener questions and as always, we will give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Oh uh, Goodness gracious, episode 52. It is. I feel like I haven't talked to you in three days. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I haven't talked to you four times in the last week for an hour straight each time. I'm getting uh, really sick of you, you know? <laughs> I just got sick about hearing about that damn love custom snare drum. I had to hear about it three times in a row and never got to hear it until just recently. That was yeah. unfair. Yeah. I think it sounded amazing, by the way. Yeah, Very great cool. drum. I Very wish cool I owned stuff.
1: it. But I don't.
0: Alas, I do not. Man, I I'm trying to decide what to do. Like I I'm starting to I'm running out of watches. Uh like I have nothing on the dock and I, that's the whole point of like the watch. I don't need the watch itself. I need the hunt for the watch. And I don't have the next one on the docket and I'm like, am I really gonna start going back to snare drums now? Yeah, and, like and then do I have to sit down with Gretsch and have, like, a talk? Like, hey, just so you know, I am I am totally endorsed by Gretsch kick, rack, and floor. <laughs> but I just like snare drums. You know, I don't want to collect floor toms. That, that doesn't interest me at all. But I like snare drums. I want to collect them. So What, you know. is, what is the whole watch thing, anyway? You know, I really don't know. <clears throat> um, I just – it started with a couple campers that – had watches and I didn't know anything about the world of watches. I thought watches topped out at like a hundred and fifty dollars. I thought that was like I had my ninety dollar watch and I had my hundred and fifty dollar watch and my hundred and fifty dollar watch. I'm like, that's my good one. Like, yeah. if I'm going out to modern drummer and trying to convince them to do a podcast at dinner at Nam, I'm wearing my hundred and fifty dollar watch. Yeah. So I I we had a camper here and I just was like, oh, it's a really cool watch. He's like, oh, thanks. And and I told Amber, I was like, hey, can you can you talk to Lou about getting. I'd like to have that for Christmas. If that's my Christmas present, I'd like to have that. And then she did, and she came back, and she's like, you need 46 Christmases to equal that watch. And I was like, wait, what? It's a wristwatch. Like, what is it, $400? And then, you know, come to find out it was more. Um, And so I was like, why would I didn't... I guess I only knew... I thought there was, like, Diesel, Nixon, Fossil. Those were the watch companies. And then there was this one called Rolex. But I didn't know there was... This whole world, like we have for drums, uh, it would be the same as a non drummer being like, "Well, there's Ludwig and Zildjian, right?" It's right. Like, no, yeah. and so yeah, so it just opened up this world to me, and I started falling in love with the movements and and just the the artistry behind it. And now it's a
1: huge obsession. It's a problem. It's a serious problem. It's a serious problem. It's kind of. I mean, I guess a lot of drummers use watches, but I can't i can 't play with a watch on my wrist, I would have to take I, it off
0: and i 'd lose it and or some. i can 't play with one without it actually is my balance now, like my right and i I wear it on my right hand huh. uh, so I actually have to buy certain watches where the buttons don 't rub into my hand, so anyways, uh yeah, my dad was left handed so I just saw him wearing a watch on his right hand. I thought that 's where you wore it i didn 't know that it was. A thing. And so, and it made sense to me. I was like, well, I'm right handed, so of course I wear it on my right hand. And, uh, but yeah, like if I take my watch off, because I I usually wear watches, if you have like the metal strap, it's called a bracelet. And I wear watches with bracelets, so they're pretty heavy watches. And if I take it off, my right, I feel like I'm like riding a bull and my arms rodeoing. Like it's just flying around, like it's filled with helium. I need weight on it. So it's a weird thing, man. It is, I, I, and you know what? You know who's affected by this now? It's Chris Brady from Aquarian. Is he getting watches now? I think he only asked me to come to Aquarian to develop some new heads so I could bring my watch collection. Because he kept asking, like, are you bringing Which ones are you bringing? You bringing it? You bringing this one? You bringing this one? So, yeah, it's a it's a problem. And then now, guess who's in on it with me? Guess who's feeding it? Not me. Carter McLean. Um. All we do is watch back. Like, he sends me a picture of his next one. And then he's like, oh, have you checked out this custom strap company? I'm like, why would you do this to me? <laughs> Now I have to buy a custom strap? It's like he pretty much sent me a link to Angel Hoops for watches. And I'm like, wait, what? I can oh, change the man. hoops?
1: Well, it's, uh, it's a good thing you don't like bourbon because he likes to collect bourbon as well. Oh, does he really? I mean, yeah, he's got like every possible variation of every bourbon known uh, to man. I will send him some some of my green tea, some of my rarest <laughs> green tea. Anyways, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Yeah, I played a gig last night. And I got to give a special shout out to uh, Michael and Kate. Michael listens to the show and they just showed up at my gig.
0: And didn't you say he was from Poland? Yeah, or they're where from, from
1: Poland. They're here, um, I guess they're here for work for a few months. And they just showed up. I mean, he got the oh, full-on, so cool. unglamorous side of being in, a, in an experimental original band in New York City. I mean, it was the oh. dingiest, diviest, crappiest club in
0: Brooklyn. Isn't that how it always is? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, wait, so this is what you aspired to do? And now you're here? this is the dream? You're here? It's like, yes, this is the dream. Living
1: the dream. Living yes. the dream. Yes. Don't you wish you were me. Oh, that's,
0: <laughs> was he cool? Was it a good, good, good hang?
1: Yeah, I didn't even, he, he waited till after the show to introduce himself, so oh, okay. I, didn't, I didn't get, but I talked to him for a bit, it was super cool, so that that's was the so first uh, live podcast sighting for me, podcast listener sighting, so it'd be nice to do more of that, I guess I should advertise my gigs a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, every every camp I have no secrets anymore. I, I,
0: I say the kid brought me pink sticks because like I know you don't like painted sticks, so I got you pink ones. And it's like <laughs> oh my goodness, it, it never ends. But it it's it's good stuff for sure, man. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm in the middle of an advanced camp, and these guys are out of control. These are like legit legit players. So it's 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 a week long lab, really. It's not a camp. It's a lab. We're all working on the material together and having a blast. And last night I I got a little hopped up on the green tea and so one of the camper or two of the campers here were here at jp bouvet's camp when he hosted his camp here three years ago and so and you know they still really look up to jp he's like their dude so i filmed one of them and i sent it to jp They're like oh you sent it to jp that's so cool and then the next kid was up playing lettuce which i sent to you yeah And then I was like, I'm going to send this to Adam Deitch, because this kid's killing it. So I sent it to Adam, and it was really cool. He was like... And then the kid came in, and he's like, wait, you did what? Why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, you want me to tell you first that I'm going to send it to the drummer that you're jamming to? Then I sent the Adele song to Ash Sohan. No. But it it was kind of like, yeah, man, this is... You guys are killing it. I want people to know that this exists. And I put... uh, Actually, Jared Gibson was playing an Adele song last night, and I put a little clip of it up on Instagram, and it instantly got like thousands and thousands of views. And and I didn't like, it wasn't because it was an Adele song. I didn't use the title or her name or anything. It was just because he killed the song. So it's been a really good camp, really good camp. And we have um, our first lady that actually got banned from the ladies' camp because she was too good. So she's here. (laughs) I said, I'm sorry. I know you love your time with the female drummers, but... You can't come back. You're too good. You have to go to an advanced camp, and so she's here, and she's just inspiring everybody because um, she's incredible. Her name's Karen, so
1: it's good stuff, man. So, what is the the dynamic for an advanced camp? Do you still have the depression cycle and everything? Yeah. Or? Wow, really? Yeah,
0: because in the advanced camp, instead of it being really advanced material, it's actually pretty. I would say the material might be even easier than the intermediate camp, but it's the concept that is completely changed. So it it might be something that says, okay, you're going to play. A one-bar progression of quarter notes, and it's kick, snare, rack, floor. Kick, snare, rack, floor. You have 25 minutes to come up with a drum solo, and those four notes cannot be changed. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, well, I taught you quarter notes, but the most advanced pro in the world is still going to struggle with this. Because... You're going to try to push yourself to your maximum level of creativity and your maximum level of drumming to impress the people that are sitting around watching you. So uh, so it's, it's – like I said, it's more like a lab. I give them an idea and a concept and it's like, okay, there's so much talent in this room with eight drummers that are truly advanced. I mean these guys really are some serious players. Why should you just be learning from me? Why don't we learn from each other? Why don't we all work on one concept in separate areas of the building, come back and share what we did and how we developed this concept, and then we can all steal those ideas from each other and then we grow much faster. Super cool. So, yeah. So depression, I would say everyone's handled it really well in this camp. And now, yesterday was like the hump day where we just get over. It gets so hard in camp that everyone finally gives up caring, and they're like, you know what? Screw it. I suck at all of this. And it's like, <laughs> yes, finally, it's finally the camp is finally broke and just let go. And then we have so much fun. Then every failure is like this huge laughing thing. And. Um, but, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's more of a life camp. We've got a kid here who's 17 uh, from Israel, and he has no choice. He has to do two and a half years in the Army uh, as soon as he gets back from camp. And oh, this wow. Is his, this is his kind of like before Army present from his family. He was our very first international student on Mike'sLessons.com nine years ago when he was like eight years old. And it's, it's an incredible story. His, his mom signed him up for lessons so that they could be distracted in their bomb shelter at their house while Israel was getting shelled. And they that would just intense. watch Mike'sLessons.com as loud as they could to cover up the sound of the bombs. So, And then a, seven years ago, he came here with his mom from Israel just to visit, and they came to camp. And there was a guy named Devin Sumner in that camp. And the kid was the kid was 10, and Devin was probably like 20. Well, just randomly, the kid is here. He's 17. Devin's back at camp for his first time in seven years. He's 27. Wow. And they did not know each other or recognize each other at all. And we're talking about my mom making tacos for the campers. And the kid's like, hey, wait. I was at a camp where your mom made tacos, and Devin was like, wait, you're the kid? You're the little <laughs> Israeli kid that came and played System of a Down? And it was like, I mean, dude, bonding for life. Just so cool, man. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty good stuff. I, I couldn't ask for a better gig. What a, a, pretty... what a great reason to start drumming so you can be loud. <laughs> <laughs> right? Cover up the sound of artillery. So, yeah, so we're we're having a great time, and there's uh, all ages are here, so it's good stuff. And then uh, I got a few days off, that I'm giving a speech. Hopefully, anyone that lives in Northern California, uh, just email amber at mikeslessons.com for the details. I'm giving a speech on how to turn your art into a business, and that's a free thing. The city of Sacramento is putting on these speeches by Sacramento entrepreneurs and artists, and so it, I would love for you guys to come out if you live anywhere near Northern California. It'll be on, I believe, August 4th. I will double-check that. But I believe I believe it's August fourth, and uh, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Right on, right on. Yeah, let me check. Let me check real quick. Yeah, August fourth, six thirty p.m. at the Clara Auditorium on End Street in Sacramento. And like I said, it's completely free. Six thirty p.m. Come on out, and it's gonna and I'll, I will be drumming. I'll do some soloing and stuff, and then we're really just gonna talk. I just really believe that artists deserve to make a living like any other profession and when you look at the money we spend on ourselves and our education and our materials over the course of a 20-year growth period it's very similar to getting a college degree in any other field the cost wise i mean so we deserve to make a living and i want to help i know sometimes people are too artistic to understand the business behind making a living off their art so i want to help out with that and like i said it's free i'm not there's no you don't have to pay to get in so so when's that coming to northern new jersey (laughs) (laughs) never i don't i don't care what happens on the east coast i just want to help my my tan west coast brethren uh no hopefully i would love to do i mean that is definitely something i would enjoy doing for i guess the the next step of my career is doing more public speaking and helping more artists out so yeah well in that uh in that world let's move on to some education let's talk about hand speed and building hand speed You have fairly fast hands. I don't have the slowest hands on the planet, and we must have worked at it. I I know I did have the slowest hands on the planet when I started, when I was five or six years old. It's really hard to be fast with one bass drum mallet in your hand. (laughs) So I had to build it up. So when you – do you remember even a time where hand speed was this goal of yours, or was it always integrated into everything
1: else? Uh, No, it was – a huge focus like as soon as i saw dennis chambers play i was like okay that's that's where i'm trying to go and you know i'm 13 years old and and completely frustrated with my lack of speed so it became like a everyday obsession to what can i do to just play faster and it wasn't that i wanted to play fast just i wanted to have that extra gear to do whatever i wanted to do yeah and be able to rip those singles around the kit. that would be fun, but <laughs> it was yeah, it was just a focus from the very beginning. Luckily, I did a lot of marching band and so much of it's funny marching band, at least in my experience, it's so little about the actual show and the performance, and it's so much about the warm ups and getting the drum line tight yeah. so we would we would practice three, four hours a day just doing simple hand-to hand warm ups like yeah. eight eighth notes on the right, eight eighth, 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 eighth notes on the left, and do that for twenty minutes straight. So all through high school, I was getting that kind of practice on the daily. Uh, and then at the same time, I was working on um, my drum set teacher was a student of Joe Morello, so he gave me some of his exercises out of master studies. Okay. Uh, the one I did every day was the Stone Killer, which was essentially the same thing as the marching band exercise, but you start with four on the right, four on the left, do that forever, then you do eight, then you do 12, then you do 16. I think it's 50 repetitions is, is the original goal. Okay. So I just did that every day until I think I started at like 168 BPM maybe until I could get through the whole thing and then a couple of weeks go by. As and eighth would, notes? Yeah, as eighth notes. Okay. And then just increase the see. tempo. So just real simple, simple, simple exercises, which is tedious. And I think that's kind of what separates, like we think that some great drummers are born with a gift. I think they're born with the ability to enjoy the mundane to just absolutely. focus on the most mundane, torturous exercises and not get bored and just start, you know, wanking on the drums.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's what it comes down to is when someone else tells me how much work something like that is, that's when I realize we're just different. I it's not that you're wrong. I just I don't see it that way. I actually enjoy that stuff. Yeah. I, I know what comes from it. I've watched the progress in myself and in my students from something like that. And, but it, but in the beginning, it never felt like work, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, for I think, and I think everyone's different. That's that's what this force teaching the four stage practice method has really taught me. That we really are most of us separated by creative and non creative. Because if somebody said, "I need you to think about flowers." and create a piece around that on your drum set, that would be work for me. I'm not artistic. so. Mm. But if you just tell me to play eighth notes on my right hand for 50 repetitions and go to the left, it's like, I, I just have to do it. Yeah. And, and especially, I think it helps, too, having a, a teacher that has the proof in the pudding. When your teacher has really fast hands and they say, this is what I did, you go, oh, well, it clearly worked for you. Yeah. So, okay, I'm doing it. Uh, so. And then, did you... Did you, I guess, did you push yourself to a max all the time, or did you stay in a place where you
1: could play perfect? What were you doing? It was always kind of on the edge of my technique. Like okay. I, I was always, I, I'd never practiced that kind of stuff super slow. Like, that just okay. wasn't the objective. It was... Because that, be, that would be technique. That
0: wouldn't be building
1: your speed. Exactly. Yeah. Once I kind of understood the free stroke and, and that technique, I didn't feel the need to keep revisiting it, so I would just push... Just to the edge, to where I got to the end of the 50 repetitions of the stone killer, my arms were were pumped. And usually my left hand would maybe die out a little bit towards the end. Sure. So I was always kind of pushing it. um, And I never – it's actually the the ultimate frustration because I never felt like I had had arrived. (laughs) It was like, man, I'm still just too slow. or My left hand still wasn't catching up, especially when I started working on flam exercises, which I think are – really the best way to increase your overall speed because you're working on all the different stroke types and you're incorporating your fingers and accents and taps and so any kind of just basic flam exercises those like flam paradiddles is such a such a beast
0: and in flam paradiddles you're not realizing that you're actually fitting in an extra note to get the next grace note of the flam in so you think it's still just groupings of four but it's like no now you have to play five notes in the space of four because of that grace note and I don't think people realize that at all because they're like, "How come my my are so much slower?" I'm like, "It's a whole note more. <laughs> yeah. You just it's just landing on one of the other notes. You're not you're not seeing it in time." But uh, same thing with with flam taps. People think it's like, "Well, it's just eighth notes." I'm like, "Well, it's three strokes inside of eighth notes. Right. So physically, it's a lot more to do." Now, real quick, because you have mentioned it before, <laughs> can you explain to our
1: audience what the free stroke is? Probably the simplest way to describe it is you start from one stick height and you don't lift the stick any higher. You just go straight from there down to the head and immediately rebound right back to the starting position. So it's one motion down, you follow the stick back up, and you, you arrive back where you started. But this, the
0: the rebound of the stick is doing the work. It's not You're not pulling the stick up. Right, you are so not making it down a down motion and, and up. Yeah. Right. It's, like it's like bouncing on. a basketball. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you owe me a green tea. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think our students or our listeners just threw up in their mouth. Um, <laughs> So, oh, yeah, by the so, way, by the way, I've
1: got to, have got to <laughs> point out that one of our listeners, Michael, created a bingo board for us.
0: Oh, oh my God, that was
1: so epic! I think I'm going to post read. it on on our uh, Facebook page. Just that to, was so epic. So every time we say a certain thing, I think green tea is on here. Yep, green tea is on here. <laughs> bingo, <laughs> bingo. Oh, that thing was awesome, man. Drum camp is on here. Let's see what else. Gretch. I mean, you kind of hit them all already. I think. <laughs> hey, mine. There's a lot of yours on there too. All right. Oh uh, no,
0: these are mostly yours. No, Vinny Cayuda's mine and Zill. There we mine. go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Repetition, Ronnie.
1: <laughs> you repeat yourself too. I'm not the only one. Uh, I think it's great. I mean, I'd, I I enjoy when people playfully poke fun at me. So this is. I you totally know, agree. No offense I think it's awesome. taken. Thanks, Michael, for making me laugh. But when I saw Dave Weckle I'm like, wow, did we really talk about Dave Weckl that much? So and fun. I just did. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> but at least we haven't mentioned
0: Park Pugliana. So we're all good. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I, where, where I go are are through... <laughs> uh, hand speed. Hand speed. Don't worry. I'll transition into how I work on it. I got all this. Right, all, right, all right. What's that, Mike? How do I do it? Well, honestly, what I do is... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I see things for me as being either raw speed or pattern speed, so that's really my determination. So when you were talking about working on straight eights in groupings per hand, that falls into the world of raw speed. There's no thought. Maybe in the beginning you're trying to keep track of 12 total notes and where that resets itself, but there's no thought, and that's raw speed. That's how fast I can physically play something. So when I do that, I guess I am much closer to my max. I'm in that, just like you said, I play as fast as I can until the technique breaks down, and then I back it off 5 or 10 BPM so that I can play the technique perfectly or as close as possible. And that's my raw speed. Then pattern speed is where something like the flam paradiddle comes in or pad of flaw where I'm reminding myself, flam left, right, flam, flam, left, right, flam. And I'm really thinking of that pattern. Well, that that brain activity is completely stealing all of my raw speed. Cause I can't even keep track of the pattern. So I have to, that stuff I practice at about 60% of my max at the most, maybe even 50% for hours until all of a sudden I'm focusing on the sticking I'm focusing on the sticking. And then I start thinking about what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. And I got to write this speech for this thing coming up and my brain is somewhere else. And my hands are just on autopilot. Then my raw speed can take over. Mm. But I never learned if you gave me a, an invented, rudiment, you know, the mica diddle. I wouldn't just try to rip it. I would play it painfully slow thousands and thousands of time until I stop thinking of the rights and the left's and then I would allow my raw speed to kick in. Mm. Uh, but I kind of feel that your your brain will memorize whatever you repeat and it doesn't know the rudiment is incorrect. So if you keep messing up the rudiment, your brain's like, You got it. You want me to memorize that? Fine. But right. if I can just play the rudiment flawlessly Over and over and over again, then my brain's ability to memorize motor function, which is what we call muscle memory, will kick in. And then I can finally say, okay, now let me turn up the juice. And I do this in clinics all the time. It's like a magic trick. You just bring up any student and say, play as fast as you can with your left hand, since that's your less dominant hand. And almost every time the student, whoever comes up, is usually faster than me. And then we do something like paradiddle diddle. And I'm maybe 100 or 200 BPM faster than them. 200 is a lot. Uh, maybe 100 BPM faster than them. Well, th- I proved that their hands were faster than mine with their raw speed. They just can't keep track of the pattern. So mm-hmm. that pattern speed is, is extremely important. So I'm always telling the students here at this thing that I host that doesn't sound like the word flamp. <laughs> I'm always telling the students, like, hey, when we're working on our hand patterns and, you- and you're looking around the room and everyone's killing it and you can't figure it out, It's not because you're slow. It's because you can't remember the pattern. So I think that those are the two things. And then you talked in the past about using pillows, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did the stone killer uh, on on my little walrus pillow every day, every night while I was watching MTV or or who knows what I was watching. Maybe I was watching the Cubs game or something. Right. (laughs) That would be my little walrus pillow. would get smacked in the face for a half an hour. Take that, Dennis Chambers. (laughs) That's awesome. Hey, so well, what, do you, what do you find yeah. is the most challenging rudiment for you? Out of, mm. those, out of the basic ones, not the hybrid stuff. Uh, probably flam accents. Oh, okay. I just rebelled.
0: I rebelled. I, I mean, every flam. So flam accent to me is is a, is a grouping of three that has a flam in it, but it's the alternating one. I was the king of Swiss triplets in my high school. Ah. So it was like, I'll just... And left-hand lead Swiss triplets. I, my right-hand lead Swiss triplets are slower than my left-hand lead ones. Mm. Um, so flam left-right, that, I can blaze that. And then if I do flam accents, it's like, I mean, it, in reality, it's not, but it, it feels like that to me. I'd say flam accents... Um, Everything else, I really put some time in. Every time it came up and I thought, wow, I suck at that, I really put. I remember having a good three to four month chunk of my life where everything was inverted paradiddles because I couldn't stop my hands. I would play two inverted paradiddles and then just magically switch back to paradiddles and not even realize it happened. Hmm. My teacher would have to point out, like, those are standard paradiddles. I'm like, are you sure? It's like, I can record you if you need me to. <laughs> yes, I do this for a living. Uh, so I, I put my time into everything else and I still. Uh, still, just kind of find ways to get
1: out of the flam accent, so what about you? I think that Radue is the most foreign it just doesn 't phrasing just doesn 't feel right to me yeah to play well, like I, a thirty second note drag and then a triplet, it just doesn 't it doesn 't feel right to me i
0: don 't do a lot of stuff I, when I do rudiments. I have a hard time stopping too, so going flip yeah you know i 'd rather be flip at the flip i, I don 't yeah. like the the pause i guess uh and, and then same double Radam Q, triple Radam Q. Uh, (laughs) yeah. And they just feel very Marchy to me and I don't play drum set like that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, and then when I get into the hybrid rudiments, it's just a whole nother world of like, okay. And and I see people do it. I've seen like drum lessons on YouTube where somebody says, all right, I'm going to use the book report on the kit. And I'm like, yeah, that's just not what I hear in my head. (laughs) Um, I, I, I still hear really standard things in my favorite drummers. Shmave Uh, Shmav Smekl, uh he, he plays a lot of right-hand lead Swiss triplets going uh, flamming between the rack tom and the snare and then sweeping down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to stay away from that board. No bingo. Shave Heckle, our favorite yeah. drummer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Flame Peckle. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Oh. You know what? We just got to own up to it. Fine. Dave Weckel, I said it. Mark Giuliana, Drum camp's awesome. I like green tea. Let's buy a watch. Let's not forget Modern Drummer. Let's never forget Modern Drummer. Let's never forget the 40th anniversary snare drums. Oh, my God. Okay. We're, we're getting goofy here. Okay. So let's move on to our featured arts. Hey, everyone, work on your hand speed. In all honesty, if you guys have breakthrough techniques that have worked for you, the drumming community is very different than any community in the world as far as we do share our information. Write into Modern Drummer and say, hey, I heard that podcast 52 where you were talking about hand speed. This is something I do, and it really helped me, and we will happily share that with everyone else. So,
1: Yeah, if you want to just write it out as a photo, we can even share it on Facebook and stuff.
0: So everybody will see it. That'd be great. All right, our featured artist this time is Mr. Josh Dunn from <laughs> the band 21 Pilots. I will be totally honest and tell you that I was way off on who Twenty One Pilots is. I I don't know if there was some flight of the Concorde thing, uh, jets to Brazil. There was like nine different bands in my head, and when I started researching them yesterday, I was like, okay, that's not what I, I thought. It was like this indie rock band, and by looking at Josh Dunn's picture, he looks like he's in an indie. Like, I mean, they are, but they're more. They have that hip hop feel to it. Yeah, but. Uh, man, I was way off, and I actually found a bunch of songs that I was like, I love that. I can't wait to play along to it. There's one uh, called Car Radio that has this... Killer groove. And I, I was really excited about it. So,
1: now, have you ever met Josh? No, I haven't. Um, in fact, he kind of came on our radar pr- very recently, so we haven't even had a chance to really, really check him out. But we did a feature on him. It's in the August issue, but... Um, I think I first saw them, they were playing like a concert on on the channel Palladia, which I think is now MTV Live. Yeah. And it was just kind of shocking to see a duo of two guys, and at that time, I believe Josh was wearing a mask, like he wasn't, or at least like a handkerchief over his face. Yeah. So he's kind of playing like Travis Barker, but it was kind of like synth pop music. It was just really, really strange in the fact that how popular it was. It just felt like why do kids like this? It's really not Taylor Swift. Right. But it's, you know, they're going for the thing. And in in the story, he talks about um, the insecurity of being a a duo, of having to bring the drums up front. And he talks about how he got into playing the drums so he could be in the back. Like he he didn't (laughs) want people to be looking at him. So he doesn't actually talk about the mask thing in the story, but I have a suspicion that that was just his coping mechanism at first. Like, I'm going to be up front when i got to cover my face so I can not get embarrassed, basically. And so I can focus on the art. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, he he reminds me a lot of Travis Barker. Totally. As
0: soon as I saw him play, it's very arm-driven. You know, hi-hats are are way up there. But what's cool is it's almost like a controlled version of Travis when he's playing his beats because they are kind of a little more hip-hop-driven beats. And the one thing I would love to know and I, I would love to ask Josh and find out is how how much is he involved in the writing process of those beats? Because those sound – they don't all sound like drummer beats. They sound like someone programmed them and then he's playing them. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if, if he's involved. I mean I could see it going both ways. Maybe he actually is the guy that's programming all that stuff. Uh, maybe he's the one that writes that stuff or – or it could be a singer-songwriter that just says, "Hey, here's the demo. Learn these parts." Either way, it's it's kind of cool when you see it because, especially when you're watching the music videos and stuff, the live stuff makes more sense. But when you're watching the music videos, you definitely are thinking, "Well, that's not a drummer." And then you see him play that part, and you're like, "When you get to see somebody play something, you can hear it much better." Yeah, and it's like, "Oh, that groove's actually much more complicated than it sounded." now that I'm seeing him play the hi-hat in that one specific spot, it's not all straight eighth notes. It's yeah. not straight sixteenths. It's very syncopated. Uh, so I thought it was really cool. And, dude, he's got it for somebody to be uh, maybe not a fan of being in the front, he's got a great persona for yeah. being a drummer. He's got the rock star thing down. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's going fantastic.
1: It. it reminds me yeah. of, you know, I'm going to mention him, what Vinny said in one of his <laughs> clinics about how he was so scared he just had to go full on. and. I feel yeah. like this is probably the same situation. Like all right, if I'm going to be uncomfortable, I'm just going to go 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 hog wild, you know, be, yeah, man. be insane. And it, it there's it, another interesting bit about this story for me was these are I don't know how old they are, but I assume they're millennial generation. Right. And with a social media obsessed vibe of of that climate, they didn't do any of that in the beginning. They didn't they didn't advertise their shows on their website or anything because they didn't want to they didn't want to because they were just playing regionally around like Ohio and the area. They didn't want to advertise a show for people that was 3 hours away when they were going to be playing in another town the next night. Yeah. So they just purposely didn't use social media to, to promote their gigs at all. Wow. So they just made fans in every town until it got to a point when they just had this fan base and then they could start promoting bigger shows and stuff. Kind of a cool approach, which is kind of the opposite where now everyone shares everything and everyone's promoting and boosting and Like, everything is a big push to get more eyeballs on it. Right. They just wanted to get people in the club, and then they would hook them just by their show. Wow, that's awesome. I dig. Well, I'm
0: I'm hoping to be able to see more of him, because I I had a really hard time finding anything that wasn't just 21 Pilots related, or he, he definitely does a lot of social media that's away from the drums and it's just <clears throat> fun stuff mm-hmm. you know, a lot of vine type stuff but i would love to see him just jam on his own and get get a taste of what is his drumming flavor and how does he play when there is no music around uh but he's definitely a super solid drummer so you guys should check out josh dunn and check out 21 pilots like i said it, it's because of the way the grooves are structured their stuff is great for for jamming along to mm. because you don't have a rock drummer getting in your way with fills that you have to learn every four bars and random bass drum patterns and random open hi-hats. It's, it's just, it's like programmed beats but a drummer's playing them and it's, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I know, like I said, that the song Car Radio, as soon as we're done with this podcast, I'm just going to go jam to it because I really okay, like the groove. Cool. It was very, very cool stuff. So check out Josh Dunn and 21 Pilots. Now on to gear review. <laughs> Uh, you're definitely not going to get to hear this one, guys. Uh, this is just a personal massage for Mike Dawson's ass. Uh, the Porter and Davies Gigster Throne. I gotta tell you, I was, I was, I know that everyone says this, and they say like that was my idea, but this was, I was part of this myself. John Otto and John Wykowski from Stained. We on our tour, we invented. I know we didn't invent it, but I really feel like we did. We went to a home theater company, and they were making these pretty much the magnets of subwoofers, and they were putting them in people's couches for home theater systems. Right, right. It's just, so you could feel the base and everything. And we would then drill two of those to the bottom of our throne, would go out of that into a 2,000-watt power amp. Out of that power amp, we would go into an elesis DM-5 triggering unit, and then we would trigger our bass drum so we could feel our bass drum through our body and turn our subs down at the concerts. And we, all three of us just went for it. And I'm sure one of them got the idea from somebody else. But Porters and Davies, if you want to kick me down like a little scratch, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be against it. I mean... <laughs> Dude, that was my idea, and it definitely was not my idea. But I remember we were doing this in the '90s, and it was it was so silly because we had we were drummers and we had full rack mount units for our for throne, throne, dude. Yeah, that's kind and of we silly. had huge cables. Like we had these huge stereo cables <laughs> that had to go from our throne to our rack mount unit. And so Porter and Davies has definitely simplified the process. But I'm going to be totally honest; I don't fully understand what this is. I can see that. It, it ranges anywhere from nine ninety nine to twelve
1: hundred dollars. So it's a serious unit. What is this thing? Well, they the first thing they came out was I think it was called the Bum Chum. It was like a big like a flight case motor that you had to carry around. It was heavy, yeah. So it wasn't something that you would. I mean, if you're on tour, that's fine. You put it in your road case and you just wheel it out on stage. But if if you're just playing like like I was playing last night at a club where I you know I had you have five minutes to set up. Right, you're not going to lug in a flight case. So right. they came up with a more compact version. So what it is, it's a it's a throne top, which can be a round or a saddle seat, and they built the the kicker part within the seat. So there's nothing. It looks just like a like a thick, cushy throne. There's nothing sticking yeah. out of the bottom of it. You don't have any kind of motors or stuff. It has an input for a cable that goes to the the amplifier, which is probably about the size of. I don't know. Maybe a what? Maybe like an audio interface. Like a a yeah. It looks
0: like probably the size of
1: maybe three stomp box pedals of a for a guitar player. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not it's it's not big at all. So then that cable plugs into the motor, and then you plug your you take a microphone cable from your bass drum mic, run it to the the uh, Gigster motor, and then there's an output that you run that will go to your sound man. So you can interface okay. this with your regular bass drum mic. You don't need a second mic. You don't need a trigger. You don't need. In- Got it doesn't. So you can just tell your sound guy just plug into this rather than directly into the mic. And then it has really cool um, controls for the input level, and you can and you can also adjust the EQ of it. So if your bass drum is super muffled. And you want to get a little bit more of a round response, you can just dial it up. Or if you have a wide-open bass drum that resonates forever, you can dial it back so it's not just vibrating constantly. Um, Then it's just like an overall level. And I use it in the studio because um, when you're using in-ears and you're recording, the bass drum is the first thing that kind of loses power. So I just dial it in just enough so I just can just feel it. And it does wonders for... For me, just making the groove feel much more solid and comfortable. Wait,
0: so this is, I mean, if you're in the studio, if you're not doing a quick gig, this is your throne?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's wow. set up in okay. my studio. Yeah, I don't i don't take it out of the studio, actually, because usually when I'm playing bigger festivals, they have a sub next sure. to in my monitor, so I don't feel the need for it. Yeah, it's, it's strictly for me, it's a recording tool, just to, to, so I'm not overplaying the bass drum, I'm not digging in, because it really responds to, if you dig into the head, it's a really short response if you really let the head go you're going to feel it resonate a little bit longer
0: wow that's awesome
1: yeah and it's silent obviously so you're not adding any sound to your your setup so i really dig it i mean the price is pretty steep just for that luxury Uh, but it's no different than buying a a microphone pre i guess which so real quick just to make sure there is no sound coming out of this it's just it is
0: what I was doing back in the day is exactly. a much better version. Yes, yeah, sure, just, just feeling, a
1: vibrating magnet or something in there,
0: and you're probably hearing the bass drum through your in ears, so it the two combine to feel like like you're hearing more low end, but yep. you're just feeling it through your body. Yeah, and I mean if you crank it, it'll it'll bounce you out of the seat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we I don't we, recommend. We, uh, <laughs> we fried a couple thrones in our in our attempt to start our company. <laughs> Make your uh, eyeballs shake. <laughs> yeah, 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 and, and we would go through our sampler and find like. Oh, arena bass drum. That'll do it. And then it was like, ah, this thing's getting really hot. Maybe I should <laughs> dial this down a little bit. But I'm glad that they've found a safe one. And it looks like, like you said, in those days, and I believe Pearl makes one too, right? Uh they had, Pearl. I don't know
1: if they're still making it. I think they... they there's called the butt kicker, is that possible? Yeah, it was called the butt
0: kicker, but that was that was that was much more like what we were doing where the magnets are drilled onto the bottom of the throne. Yeah, this, this is completely you, inside of it. Yeah, you would not know besides the cable coming out of it, it just looks like a throne. Now I know that Rock and Sock is making the backrest that you can add onto it. Do you know if Rock and Sock is making the throne? Because it looks very much so like. It certainly stuff. looks like it. I can't confirm
1: okay. it, but it's the same style with the stitching I and would the a, adding.
0: I would assume it is because they're the backrest the green backrest that matches that is made by Rock and Sock. So yes,
1: it probably um, is. It's a really nice throne. It's it's a pretty firm. It looks deceivingly soft because it's so thick. It's a pretty firm throne. Is it? Yeah, it's not well, like yeah, I mean, super cushy. It's thick because there's giant magnets in it. Yeah, so exactly, and
0: you don't feel any of that. You're not like sitting on them, like poking through or anything. No, I haven't noticed at all. It's cool. Yeah, yeah it's so cool. Which one do you have?
1: Do you have the saddle or the round saddle? cool i've been using the saddle for years uh, it just i guess the way i sit it tends to a round seat tends to cut off circulation a little bit i'm with
0: you man i'm with you that's awesome well i wish we could uh give you guys all a, a demo of this but i guess you could just write your emails to mike's butt <laughs> <laughs> so sorry man um yeah it is the price is up there but i don't think the price is outlandish for what it is i know that benny uses this benny greb is using this yeah, uh, a lot of guys I, are yeah, I was actually kind of surprised. That's what really brought my attention to it was the amount of top level players that were more than happy to promote on social media that they were using this. Yeah, and, and uh, a
1: lot of studio guys too for that that same reason to just give you feel like you're more like physically connected with your bass drum sound and your touch. Um, and it'll fit. It'll fit in a snare drum case. So if you put the throne top and the motor, it'll all fit into like one snare drum case. A six maybe awesome. like a six and a half inch deep case. Awesome. Well, that's the Porter and Davies
0: BC Gigster Drum Throne. And like I said, depending on which model you get, I'm looking right now uh, on uh, Sweetwater.com. And so the good thing is they definitely have distribution. You can get it on Musician's Friends, Sweetwater, your local drum shop. Uh, it's, it's somewhere between 999 and $1,200 depending on where you get it. So awesome, man. Well... I think we should dig into some serious questions. Yeah, let's try
1: to get through a bunch of them. So we've let's got do it. Um, this one comes from Benjamin. He says he's only able to practice on the practice pad kit at home. It has a bass drum, snare drum, and a hi hat pad. Okay. So his, he wants suggestions on what he should focus on during that practice time at home. Uh, you know, to get the most out of it. He can mm-hmm. only get on like a real kit about four times a month. uh, oh, it's so tough, man. I God, I wish I wish we could solve the
0: problem of volume. Yep. And not with electronic percussive devices. I I don't think it's making the drums quieter. I think it's making rehearsal spaces around the world more accessible and more affordable. So you can put your drums somewhere other than your apartment. I think that's the solution. But I I know what you're going through, buddy. I've definitely uh, done my time in apartments throughout my life. And for that kind of stuff, it, it... It always lent itself to book stuff for me. I always learned on those things. I didn't jam on them a lot, but I learned on them. So I didn't feel that I needed a real hi-hat and a real snare and a real kick to get the patterns down out of maybe future sounds, which should definitely be another Scrabble word or a bingo (laughs) word because I probably (laughs) mentioned future sounds and everything. But that was definitely my groove book. I didn't need the real stuff to get the patterns down the four times a month thing that's when i would get the nuances down of the ghost notes the accents the feel and the touch but pattern work i could do on any surface so for me it would probably be pattern work what about you yeah pretty much
1: the same i, I had a practice pad kit that i used in college and at home in high school and it was a uh, i used it for independence practice and i used it for just straight technique development and that was it right. just getting yeah. my movements yeah i
0: think that's i think that's what it is and then constantly be being aware of any situation that lends itself to you getting on a kit more often that happens in sacramento all the time we have two practice spaces called house of hits two different locations and they're they're the waiting list to get in is forever but bands are always breaking up and bands are always looking to cut their costs so you might have a band that has a dedicated room but they would love to take 150 per month off of their rent by having one more drum set in there and you use it at the times they don't use it so keep your keep Keep your eyes out for that stuff.
1: All right, next. Next is coming from Adam. He's wondering, um, let's see, he's, he's about to go to a music school. He's going to Humber College in Toronto for a music degree. Um, and he is wondering if, since he hasn't had many opportunities to play jazz with other people or in any ensembles, how could he maximize his practice time for the next few months to be you know ba- basically be prepared when he gets there for that experience? um my simple one one answer is play along to classic jazz records there's yeah, no yeah. other no other way yeah. and 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 get into
0: the habit of transcribing things uh from those from those records don't and the other thing i would say and probably you can speak to this even more but i really did have a hard time understanding the language of jazz i wasn't studying with even when I was studying with Pete Magadini, who's a fantastic jazz drummer, I wasn't studying jazz with him. I was studying polyrhythms and other things with him. But one thing I found is I always jammed to the record too soon without ever listening to it. So mm-hmm. I covered up the drummer before I ever heard the drummer.
1: <clears throat> yeah. yeah, transcribing the comping is, in my opinion, more valuable than transcribing the drum solos. Oh, totally. If you transcribe the more. ride cymbal variations, the left-hand variations, the bass drum notes, that is the language. The soloing is not the language the language is to know how to speak with the other musicians while they're playing yeah so transcribe i mean start with something basic do freddie freelitter off of miles davis kind of blue and transcribe it note for note like don't just turn it on jazz is not an excuse to play whatever you want (laughs) you know you have exactly you have to learn the language in order to then speak it fluently so transcribe it note for note play along with the record a million times the The most growth I ever experienced was after undergrad because up until that point, I was just like a book technique hound. I just uh, tried to just be able to execute everything on the drum set. My language was limited. So between undergrad and grad school, I had a year and a half where I was home substitute teaching basically whenever I wanted to, which ended up being two or three days a week. The rest of the time, I was just practicing. And all I was practicing was along to records, and that was the most growth I ever made. I would just play along to all the Miles Davis quintet with Philly Joe Jones on drums. I would play along to Art Blakey records. I would play along to Hank Mobley records, uh, Clifford Brown and Max Roach records, just all the classics, and that was, within those year and a half, I developed as much as I did in 10 years prior to that. That is the single best way to do it, so... And it's fun. There you go. It's definitely fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, next. All right, next. This is coming from uh another Michael. He he has a question about rim shots. So he's asking, well he's he's thinking that it's when you're recording it might be risky to play rim shots all the time since you can mishit them pretty easily. Um basically he just wants to know any advice for that for how to get consistent snappy rim shots. As opposed to the brute force slamming your hand down rim shot. Sure, I, I mean that's that
0: is a huge topic between myself and my students because I will let my students rim shot all day as long as I believe that it's their choice and it's not their habit. Sometimes they just can't. They've just it's go, it's been years since they've hit a drum smack dab in the center without rim shotting. and I want them to have it as a choice for me. Rimshots Shots were my way to get my volume above my band who kept buying bigger amps. Yeah, And it was like, okay, well, then I'm going to have to do this thing. But Rim Shots come at a cost. They are a very different sound. It's a very sharp sound. It's a very harsh sound. It doesn't allow the drum to breathe a lot. And I know the the story that changed my life when it came to Rim Shots was talking to Abe Cunningham from the Deftones after he recorded, uh, what was the first album, Adrenaline, the first major label album on Maverick. And he recorded with Terry Date. And he was like, man, uh, have you ever tried to not rim shot? Because at this time, we're all in our rock bands. And I was like, why would I do that? Get slow me. I don't want I don't want the nuance of the drum. And he's like, well, Terry wouldn't let me hit a rim shot. And I actually couldn't play any of our drum parts without them. So he made me click my snare towards me three clicks so that I physically couldn't play a rim shot. And wow. he's like, I-, I didn't know that I couldn't not play a rim shot. And I was like, oh. Well, I'm very good cuz I went to school and I did school <laughs> band and I went back home and I was like, yeah, I can't play any of our songs without rimshot. So I had to relearn it. I also watched Benny Greb when he did his camp here. He had a you know, he had his campers up there playing and he goes man i love the way that guy makes my snare sound this is like a 17 year old kid mm. and i and then i realized oh yeah your snare has been sounding different every single person that plays it and benny was infatuated with how the 17 year old made his snare drum sound mm-hmm. and it was like wow i got to get more into the nuances so i would say this as far as your question realize that the drum has tons of nuances and producers usually just love consistency that's what they want is they don't want the snare to be changing and hitting the snare smack dab in the middle without a rim shot is a very consistent sound and those rim shots especially depending on how how you play sometimes it's just it can be inconsistent it it produces a lot of frequencies uh, depending on the drum and how you have it muffled so i would say just get used to not rim shotting and then being able to make it a habit maybe a simple exercise would be one bar, or maybe a four-bar phrase of no rim shots, and a four-bar phrase of rim shots, just to make sure that you can control when it happens. Do you have any advice on that stuff?
1: Well, I mean, if you're if you're dead set on always doing a rim shot, then just being aware of where you're striking on the head. So maybe even drawing a little target, like that's where sure. the beat of the stick needs to go. Because it's something I learned from Mark Schulman is that really the best rim shot sound is not when you're hitting with less of the stick is when you're actually hitting with more of the stick so if you aim for over halfway over the middle like away from you on the snare maybe an inch okay. that'll give you a fuller bigger rim shot wow. rather than the thin tinny rim shot you get if you pull right. back
0: yeah i mean i think we do that on purpose when we do like our fake reggae fake latin fills yeah. we pull the sticks back and get that timbale
1: sound yeah so if you aim for just past center that'll it'll give you a fuller sound and there's a little bit more room for error because you have more stick to work with um But as you said, I think you have to learn how to hit in the middle because actually the drum records better if you don't hit rim shots. So even if you're playing super loud, hard rock, when the difference between the spike of that metal rim and the Mm -hmm. tone of the drum is so vast that you would have to compress it to really bring any of the tone. Whereas if you just don't hit the rim shot, you don't have to compress it as much. It's just going to sound bigger and fuller. You don't have to hit as hard. Um, and that's what Terry Date was telling Abe. He was saying,
0: I can get you the best rim shot in the world if you'll stop rim shotting. Right. Like, right. give me the most pure snare tone to work with, and I can do anything with it. But if you only give me a rim shot, I have no options. Yeah. So.
1: Cool. Let's move on. I got one from Dante. Um, have you ever experienced a serious in- injury that interrupted your plane for a long period of time? If so, how did your plane worsen in that time frame? And how long did it take you to get comfortable on the kit when you got back to it? So he is, he fractured his collarbone and Oof. he has screws and a metal plate put in. So, oh, that sounds like
0: it's, I mean, I, I broke my leg and had a cast on my leg for three or four months and it was on my hi hat foot and I just focused on everything else. So, mm. but I mean, it sounds like he's kind of immobilized. That's a different situation. Cause I, I've had lots of students that break their arm and it's like, dude, this is great. You get to be left-handed for three months. You know how great this is going to be in your future? This is amazing. Uh, That sounds tough. I mean, what would you – what about you? Have you personally had any injuries? Uh,
1: No, and I don't even want to talk about it because I don't want to fall down the stairs tonight. Let me knock on some wood. I have not broken a bone. I've not had any serious injury. And part of it is because even as a little kid, I I avoided – I just knew that, like – if this if there's potential for me to get hurt doing this, I probably shouldn't really do it. That's why I quit skateboarding once I got strong enough to do really stupid stuff like right. once I yeah, started yeah. jumping down four Stairs. or five steps and there's a big crack in the sidewalk at the bottom, yeah. and then I you know almost knocked my teeth out, I'm like, okay, I'm you gonna go I'm gonna go drive my car instead of my skateboard now so <laughs> So, I, I, and even with sports, like I played soccer my whole life, and I might have hit three head balls in my entire career as a soccer player because it's just like it made absolutely no sense for me to jump up along with another guy and smash our heads together. <laughs> I so, love it. it was just some, some logical filter in my brain. So, I just kind of avoided things that would cause injury. Obviously you can't control everything, but I haven't broken any bones. I did I do have a pretty significant cyst in my wrist from falling down skateboarding. But oh, it's wow. not it's not like a surgery requiring thing or anything right. like that. So yeah, I don't unfortunately I don't have any. Advice other than. Well, I
0: mean, maybe this is a great time to do what we talked about two questions ago. Maybe this is the time to be transcribing stuff and really digging in and, and opening up your ears and figuring out the, the nuances of the music that you love. And it, so it's a great time to listen to music and format your ideas for what you want to do when you can play more uh and maybe depending on the mobility maybe you can sit in a chair with a backrest with a throne or i mean with a pad at a specific height and just work on your technique so i would say get into the minutia of drumming while you have to be away from the kit so
1: cool let's All move right. into our picks of the week you got one
0: you got it buddy i do my pick of the week will it's a game changer so modern drummer bingo board there is this show on Netflix called Chef's Table. Now you're going to say, but that was your pick last week. I got a chance to watch specific parts of Chef's Table with the campers here at Flam Tramp. <laughs> and watching it changed them, and all of them just going, like, dude, he's talking about drumming. And I'm like, I know. And, and I mean, there's this moment where uh, one of the chefs is, it, I mean, it, The interview is so deep and he's going deep 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 and he just says look if you want a better meal you have to have better ingredients and it was but the way he said it everyone was like rudiments like uh (laughs) clarity notes caring about every funky primer thing that you do just (laughs) care 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 and just watching these light bulbs go off around the room and i was like (sighs) You guys get it, man you 're seeing the world through the same lens that I view the world through right now, and this is a magical moment and it was just awesome and then all of them were like i can 't wait to get home from camp and watch this series because they 're not talking about cooking, they think they are, but they 're talking about anything artistic they 're talking about forging your own path and not looking around and thinking about what other people think but that that just that one line, if you want a better meal, you need better ingredients." If you want a better groove, you got to clean it up, man. You got to mm. focus on the minutia. I think uh, it, it just opened a lot of our students' eyes. So once again, Chef's Table Netflix, check it out. Yours. I wish I had Netflix. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you a Netflix subscription. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm gonna put it on the business card. Amber can deal with it. She she never listens this
1: deep into the podcast. <laughs> she won't know. <laughs> okay, so I picked. Uh, we talked about Aaron Sterling. Uh, weeks, weeks back, probably a couple of months back and how he had this online masterclass. Well, he put up his ne- next series of, of videos. So it's awesome. And so there it's, instead of it being one big package, he, he chopped it up into three. So it's organic hip hop and then metric modulation part one and metric modulation part two. Now you think those, those two subjects would be so completely not connected, but I haven't talked to him about it. I should have asked him. But I think what happened is as he was doing the organic hip hop video, which is he takes you basically through his step-by-step process of building a drum loop, a live drum loop. So he he has like a little piano part, like a four-bar piano thing that he just starts jamming over on the drums and finds a four-bar thing that he likes. And he just starts adding layers of percussion and marching snares and maracas. And it's really amazing. And I I love that he's, he doesn't, script it like a traditional drum video so you don't get the awkward like I'm reading from a cue card stuff Right, he yeah. just goes right into it so it's literally like you just showed up at a studio and he's like today I'm doing this hip hop thing you want to hang out and I'll tell you what I'm doing that's that's how it goes down so you get to watch right. him discover stuff like he'll do a pass of one thing and he's like oh wait a minute I got another idea or he'll <laughs> He'll try out a different tambourine. He's like, ah, that sucks, and he'll just throw he's it down. He's so awesome, dude. <laughs> he's so awesome. So it's super cool. That one is really great just to kind of see his method of building drum parts that aren't just a traditional play the drums kind of a thing. Right. But towards the end of that, he starts to improv over the loop, and he starts throwing in these like three or four things. And I'm like, oh, that's that's totally not what you would expect him to do. And then right. the next video, he I think he's like, all right, I'm going to now do a video on that because that just inspired me. Now I'm going to break down how I approach metric modulation, not from a strict mathematical Gavin Harrison approach, which is a great way to understand it. For him, it's just like, here's what it sounds like. Now try it. And and here's the different ways I'm using it. So it's really great. Um, I'm glad that he put more out. So you can get it at AaronSterling.com. I think that's like 40 bucks for the bundle where you can get each did one. Did you
0: hear all the clicking while you were talking? Because I just bought it. Did you? I did. <laughs> I just bought the whole bundle. I got the organic hip-hop, metric modulation part one. Sorry, Amber, metric modulation part two. Um, he makes it easy. It was like, yeah. want to use your PayPal account? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited. I think I'm glad he chopped it up. I, I We have value in our own mind. And as a musician, I got to be honest, even though the value for uh, Sound of Sterloid Volume One is probably thousands of dollars, seeing any eighty dollar chunk on a website is hard for a musician to handle. Yeah, and I'm part of that. I I, I did not buy that one, and then once I saw fourteen ninety nine, I was like, oh, but I'll buy three of those. <laughs> right. I just you know, but I just don't <laughs> want to see the thirty nine ninety nine at the end. So, um, yeah, that's uh, it. I, I just bought them, so I'm gonna. Uh, I can't wait to watch them with the campers.
1: Yeah. They're super fun. He's kind of like your chef's table kite type guy. Like he is. I'm not gonna give anything specific and, and sometimes he kind of purposely like I'm not even gonna tell you where the microphone is, but there's a microphone down there. Like it doesn't right. matter. It doesn't matter, you just figure out what works for you. But when he gets into the drumming, it's like okay, he's he's not laissez faire. The guy is intense. No. He's just no, focusing for on sure. the right stuff. He's focusing on the art.
0: Yeah, I think too. You gave me a great tip a while back. I think I don't even know if it was podcast or that. I think we were just talking on the phone. And you're like, dude, you got to follow Aaron's Instagram feed. He posts great stuff. Yeah, and that's all you gave me. But now that I would have to describe to somebody else, I'd be like, he posts great stuff. I can't tell you what he posts, <laughs> but it's just great. So it's uh, it's not the generic. Drummer Instagram channel at all, so yeah. definitely check out Aaron Sterling. And if you guys want to get those master classes, it's just AaronSterling dot com. You can just start there, or you can go straight to the master classes. aaronsterlingcom dot com slash masterclasses Aaron, classes. And uh, you know what? How about uh, how about next week? I'll give you a review on these three master classes because I just bought them. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, buddy, have an amazing week. I'm going to go get started with the campers. Right. And then uh, one last reminder, if you guys are in Sacramento, please definitely consider coming out because, like I said, that whole thing is free. Once again, that is going to be August 4th, 6.30 p.m. It's called uh, on, It's called the Remarkable Artists uh I don't know, thing, but I, I think that's a lie. But uh, it's called Turning Your Art Into a Business, Thursday, August 4th, 6.30 p.m., Clara Auditorium. I would love to see you guys there and get to hang with you guys. Great. So. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Later. Peace. Later. Whatever. Get out of here. Hate your face
1: off. <laughs>